Happy Easter, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for being here today. It's Resurrection Sunday, the greatest event that has ever taken place in history is why we are celebrating today the resurrection of God's son Jesus from the grave. And uh, there's a theologian by the name of N.T. Wright. He describes it this way. He says, the resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you're now invited to belong in it. And that's the type of invitation that Jesus had in mind when he went to the cross and when he rose again three days later, and we get to celebrate that today. And I'm glad you're here, glad you're here at Hilton Island Community Church. My name is Todd, by the way, for those of you I don't know, I'm uh, the pastor here, lead pastor here, and you guys are here for our last service. And I'm just really glad that you're here for our last service. I actually took the whole like microphone thing off after the last service because Cynthia's right, it's hard to keep track. It's a little bit like Groundhog Day for church staff people, right? You know, I hate to say that, but it's true. And, uh, but I'm really glad that you're here today. And uh, how many of you have been to the RBC Heritage or are going to the RBC Heritage? Raise your hand. All right. All right, very good. Okay, for a moment there, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Nobody cares about golf, really? But anyway, it would have offended me. But you guys did great. You responded. That's good. Uh, today, I want to uh, talk with you today about the resurrection, this amazing thing that happened I want to talk about Easter, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen. Totally great, totally fine. The resurrection of God's Son was a glorious and amazing thing. And today, we celebrate, we, we come together, we sing praises as we just did to God for all that he did in his death and burial and resurrection. But, but I want you to imagine for a moment, if you were one of the followers of Jesus, and there were more than just 12, if you were there in Jerusalem on that Friday or Saturday, put yourself in their shoes. What would you be thinking? What would you have been feeling? What kind of emotions would you have? Because here's the deal. Sunday was a day of celebration. It was a day of like resurrection and life and excitement. But let's face it, Friday was pretty bad, wasn't it? Even though we call it Good Friday, we call it Good Friday because of the good work Christ did on the cross. But for those who were closest to Jesus, those who had, many of them had literally ditched everything that they know to be true, like left security, comfort, uh, uh, everything that they, they knew that was like their future behind to follow this man on Friday afternoon, Friday evening, all day Saturday, that must have been a horrible experience. Am I right? Like, I mean, think about that. You leave everything to follow this, this radical guy, this radical rabbi by the name of Jesus, who was teaching something completely different than, than the, most of the Jewish rabbis did. I mean, it was a completely different message. And you followed him, and now he's dead. You saw it with your own eyes. Like, imagine the feeling of, like, being with him when he was arrested. False accusations when he was put through a phony trial, when he was then beaten and his, his flesh torn and the bleeding and the suffering. And then when they put him on that cross and they nailed his hands to that wood and his feet to that wooden cross. Imagine what you might have been feeling. Imagine the despair. 
You see, Sunday may have been a celebration, but I think for those who were following Jesus, Friday and Saturday, those were some very, very difficult days. I can't imagine some of the things that might have been going through their minds and through their hearts about what they had heard years before about following him. And what they would have thought, I mean, you know, as bad as Friday was, um, they wake up Sunday morning and somebody runs to them and says, you've got to go to the tomb. The stone has been rolled away and no one's inside. And you're like, wait a minute. It's kind of like when a, a national emergency happens and the news just kind of slowly spills out, right? It's like, wait a minute, we just saw him die. We saw him go through the Jew Jewish burial and put there in a Roman tomb. Now you're saying he's gone? And I would imagine the scene at the tomb probably was a little bit like a, a car accident. You know, you see on the side of the road while you're coming on vacation here to Hilton Head or going somewhere else for vacation. And, you, you, you know, there are people who stop and, and they want to see what's going on, right? The gawking at what's happening. And I would imagine that as the morning went on on Sunday morning, there were probably a group of people that were gathering around, but nobody wanted to go inside because who wants to go inside a tomb, right? Especially with the circumstances. And so I would imagine for these folks, there was just this great tension. And I would imagine that they probably had to conjure up in their mind what might have happened to Jesus. Like maybe his body was stolen out of this tomb. That's plausible, right? I mean, they were probably trying to find some kind of rational way to, to just make sense of all this. Maybe somebody stole his body. There, there would have been many different people who would have had motive to steal his body. There might have been some Jewish leaders who thought, you know, Jesus and his followers really, really disrupted our ability to have control in this part of the Roman Empire. And if they think that he's here, this might become a shrine, so let's take his body and let's steal it. I mean, some of his disciples might have thought that. They might have thought that. There might have been some kind of like Roman citizen, like a patriot, who thought, boy, you know, again, this, these Jesus people are crazy. We need to do something about his very body. And so maybe they thought that his body was stolen, or maybe they thought that somehow the stone accidentally slipped away, and, and you know, maybe something came in and, and took his body out. Resurrection probably wasn't the first thing on their mind. And in that time and in those moments and days and hours of trying to come up with what is plausible and what might have happened, I really doubt that the first thing they thought of was resurrection. Even though Jesus had told them that that's what would happen, it's probably the last thing they would have thought. And I would imagine that these followers of Jesus who were so committed to him probably had flashbacks. They had ringing in their ears and echoing in their minds of that moment when they heard Jesus say these words, follow me. And in that moment, I would imagine some of them were like, hey, this might have been a sham. This might have all been just a made-up thing. This might have been a lie, and I left everything for it. They might have been skeptical. They might have been questioning. They might have been wondering, have I followed someone who was a phony? Until Jesus showed up on the scene after he had died. 
And the Bible gives the account of Jesus showing up after he had died. He rose again on Sunday, and he shows up over the course of about 40 days to over 500 people. That's not a small amount of witnesses, is it? That's a lot of people who saw the resurrected Jesus. And so in their minds, these words that might have been for a few moments haunting them, follow me, were ringing true because they were the ones who chose to follow Jesus. Those words are spoken throughout Scripture. Jesus spoke them in small groups. He spoke them to individuals. He spoke them to the masses. He spoke them many times. But I think one of the most poignant times is from Mark chapter 1. Jesus speaks these words. Mark chapter 1, 16 through 20 says this. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, say those words with me, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I want to say that again. I want to read that again. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets, and immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat in the hired with the hired servants and followed him. I've always felt sorry for Zebedee here, don't you think? Do you feel sorry for Zebedee? Like this man was, he had this great fishing business, and he's probably like, man, I got these sons. They're great sons. James and John, I'm proud of them. Until one day they just up and left him in the boat with the servants and the broken nets. I mean, these, these men followed Jesus, and here they were. They had followed him, and here they were wondering where he had gone, maybe speculating that somebody had stolen Jesus' body. But i got to tell you, as much as they might have thought that his body may have been stolen, there was almost no way that that could have happened. The tomb that Romans used to bury the dead was a very intricate thing that was very thought out and planned extremely well. The stone that we kind of like have in our minds that was rolled in front of the tomb, it would have been rolled in front of a cave, essentially is what it was, that would have had a small opening, and, it, and the, the stone would have completely covered the hole of the opening. It would have been one to two inches thick. It would have been four to six feet in diameter, and most experts believe that it weighed between one and two tons that stone could not have been rolled away in the middle of the night without a lot of people noticing it by two Roman guards, unless they were like superhuman, or unless someone had a plan and figured out a plan and it was like Mission Impossible number seven, like they figured it out and they somehow got in there and got Jesus' body. And these men, these people had decided to take Jesus up. Listen to this. They had decided to take Jesus up on his invitation to follow me. And I want to look at what that is for these next few moments here this morning. What was this invitation all about? Follow me. Well, first and foremost, I want you to notice that when Jesus reached out to people with that invitation of follow me, it was so incredibly simple. It was so incredibly simple. 
I mean, Jesus didn't make it too complicated. We have a tendency to make following Jesus complicated, and the church is at the top of the list of entities that make it more complicated than it needs to be sometimes. Jesus simply asked them to follow him. That was it. It was a simple invitation. The Greeks would have understood this in that day and age because um, they often understood word pictures, and here they would have gotten the word picture. You see, in that day and age, there was the rise of the Roman roads, right? So follow me literally like meant follow me on the road or follow me on the path. And they would have had this idea that someone knows where the destination is, and they know how to get there, and we needed to follow right behind, you know, on our horse or, you know, on our donkey with the new donkey brand new donkey smell, like we would need to follow the person who knew where he was going and follow so closely that we didn't get lost. Did you ever do this before, like on vacation where you would caravan? Somebody had a great idea to caravan. There were like three or four cars that were going to vacation, and they're like, we need to stay together. We need to stay close. I know the way. Follow me. Has that ever worked out, ever? Has that ever worked out? Like it didn't in my family. I think it caused more problems than it did anything on vacation. That's a lot of fun, right? Some of you like, I'm experiencing that right now. <laughs> That's the picture that they would have received when Jesus just simply said, follow me. And we get that. We've been following people all of our lives. When we're young, we're babies. At some point in time, we grow and we, uh, we, get, the, we get the ability to kind of lift ourselves up at, uh, from crawling on the ground and lift our knees up. And one day we're in a room and we're, we're, we stand up. We finally get up enough strength to stand up and we're wobbling around and people are all around us. They're looking down at us. We have no idea who they are because we're too young. And they're looking down at us and, and a parent or a grandparent or who, who knows, a, a cousin or an aunt or uncle gets down and they're, they're all excited and they're like, hey, come here, come this way, come this way. And we take our first step, right? We take our first step and everybody starts cheering. All these strangers are like, yeah, all right. You take your first step because someone said, follow me. And then all of a sudden you fall flat on your face and they all start laughing at you. So that's life, right? One moment they're cheering for you and the next moment they're laughing at you. We learn at a young age what it means to follow someone. We go to school, we go to lower school and elementary school, and there's some kid in the class that's a teacher's pet. They do all the good things in class, they get all the good grades. I'm not bitter at all. And the teacher goes, you're the line leader today. You get to lead the line. And so it's time to go to the bathroom, time to go to the restroom, go get water, and everybody lines up the front door, and there's a melee of fighting for first place, or at least up near the front of the line. And I don't know about, <laughs> when I was growing up, there's a lot of stomping on feet and like kicking each other and a few, you know, kidney punches I got in the back to get up near the line leader because you were supposed to follow them. Fast forward 12 years or so later, and you're looking at a huge life decision. What career are you going to pursue? What college are you going to go to? And you can't make a decision and someone else comes alongside and says, I I've made a decision. Why don't you, why don't you come with me? So we live our lives learning what it means to follow other people. But boy, when it comes to following Jesus, it's a whole different thing, isn't it? It's a whole different thing because we have to come to a point where we believe that he was the risen Savior. But his instruction or his invitation was simple. But it also included an instruction. He says... Come follow me and 
What? And you have to obey every point of the law? No. And you have to memorize all of Scripture. That's a good thing, by the way, but he didn't say that. Come follow me, and you'll be someone who gets to judge other people who are far from God. No, he doesn't say that. Come follow me, and you'll be a scholar. You'll you'll find great reward because you are going to be very successful. He doesn't say any of that. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And in that invitation with the instruction that Jesus gave, we really see his heart. He simply wants people to follow him, to become followers, to put their faith in what he was doing and what he did. And then he simply wants us, those of you who are in this room, you and me who are Christ followers already, who are believers already, his desire is that we would follow him in serving the world around us. It really is that simple. It's an invitation followed by an instruction. You see, someone who was following someone else on the road during that day and age, they would have to follow so closely that they would make every correct turn. They would go into the right neighborhoods. In fact, back in that day, in the dry, dusty, arid geography that they had there, the topography, they called it dust on your feet. And whichever teacher, whichever rabbi you were following, if you were following them closely enough, the dust that they kicked up would land on your sandals and on your feet. The dust of Jesus was not marked by legalism. It wasn't marked by law. It wasn't marked by some kind of crazy intellect or judgment. It was marked by service, first and foremost. That's what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. But what does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to us when he said, I want you to follow me? Well, for some of you today, you're here and you're not yet a follower. You're like James and John and Andrew and Simon Peter. You you haven't chosen yet to believe in Jesus as your savior. And so for you, what is following me? It means that before you become a a follower, you have to believe that he was the son of God. You have to believe before you follow. You have to believe that he was the one who died on the cross and rose again from the dead. See, Jesus died for you to take your place for the sin that we all have. Without Jesus, you and I have no access to God. The Bible says that God can't even look on sin. And Romans 3.10 tells us that there's none righteous, no, not one. Listen, there are some days when I think I am, right? Some of you have those days, you're like, man, I, I got all the right answers today. Maybe not yesterday, maybe not tomorrow, but today I've got all the right answers. Like, had a pretty good day, I'm pretty perfect today. That's a hard thing to do. Because Romans says that none of us are righteous. And there's nothing that we can do to earn our way to heaven. But I want you to hear this morning on Easter 2019, especially for those of you who may be skeptical, who may be wondering, who may be questioning, or maybe you've gotten right up to the point of believing before and something pulled you back. I want you to hear that God's gift 
is a free gift. That his work on the cross of taking those sins, and that's what he did on the cross, he took our sins away so that a relationship with God was now possible. He took those away for us. And so his work on the cross, his rising again from the dead, it is a free gift. And the Bible says if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. We will have eternal life. Paul, the apostle who wrote most of the New Testament in Ephesians, in his letter to the church of Ephesus, wrote this. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the, the what? The gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. We don't normally think of gifts on Easter, do we? Gifts are reserved for Christmas, right? The wise men and all that. That gets us our Christmas gifts. You, you kids, you can thank the wise men for your Christmas gifts every year, all right? They, they're the ones that started the whole gift-giving thing. Thank you very much. But on Easter, we don't normally think of gifts, right? But I want you to know that Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection is the greatest gift that you could receive. If you're here today and somebody dragged you here, they're like, hey, I'll pay for, uh, I'll pay for breakfast, brunch this morning if you come to church with me. Make sure they are good on their promise, okay? Don't pay for lunch. Don't pay for brunch. Maybe they say, let's go to the RBC Heritage, but first we're going to church. If you're here today and you've been struggling with belief, I want to challenge you. But that's really kind of the whole point. I want to challenge you that maybe, maybe it's true. And maybe you have room to take one foot and put it in front of the other and believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And maybe for you, this year on Easter is your year to receive the gift that God offers you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have eternal life. That's the gift. Jesus rose again to prove that he conquered death so that you can live forever in heaven when you die. And for some of you who may be struggling with this, I want to read this from Tim Keller. Timothy Keller is a great author, great pastor, great theologian of our day. He wrote this. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. My favorite part of Mark 18 or Mark 118 is next to the Zebedee part because I feel bad for Zebedee. But I love it when they're in the boats and they're hanging on to their nets and all of a sudden Jesus calls them and he says, "Come follow me." And what do they do? Do they still hang on to their nets? Do they continue fishing? Do they continue to fix their nets? No. The Bible says that immediately they released their nets. Immediately, they left their nets. Immediately, they dropped their nets. And I want to remind you that those nets for those followers of Jesus represented the security and the safety of their current life, their current belief, their current income, their current vocation. It represented everything of security to them. 
And in a moment, when Jesus said, come follow me, they immediately dropped their nets. And in that moment, in dropping everything that they knew of that was secure, their hands were free to receive the gift that God offered, and they received it. And boy, did they ever do an amazing job of passing it on, didn't they? They passed it on to the world. In fact, that's kind of the second application to Jesus giving this great invitation and instruction that if you're already a follower, our job is to follow Jesus' example. Our job is to follow in the model that he set of service. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, your life, it's going to be immersed in serving others and putting their needs above your own. How can we say that we follow Jesus and refuse to love and serve others more than ourselves? See, unfortunately, the church has painted a bit of a picture over the years that if someone accepts Jesus as their savior, that their life from that point on, on this side of heaven will be perfect, or it'll be nearly perfect. And we all know that that is far from the truth, right? <laughs> in fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So he told us that we would have difficulty and difficult times. But he also modeled what it means to serve. The selfless like is the Christ-like life. When we serve the world around us, the dust of the rabbi Jesus lands on our feet. And church, and those of you who are already believers and followers, I want to challenge you to take this Easter and evaluate how your life represents service. Because if there's anything that shows that we are followers of Jesus, it's serving the world around us. And I think that's our call this Easter 2018. My prayer is, is that those of you who are in here today who have never put your faith in him, you've never made that, that choice, that step to believe. My challenge to you is this. You see, in that moment after Jesus died on the cross and before they discovered that his body was now gone, that he had risen from the grave, before he came back for those 40 days and 500 people saw him, before that, there were big moments of doubt. And they had to go through the heart-wrenching process of deciding whether or not what they had put everything into was true. And they all decided that the invitation to follow me was worth it. And they ended up being right, didn't they? For those of you who struggle with this, for if you're here and you're skeptical and you just wonder, my challenge to you is, is consider that it might all be true. It might all just be true. And why risk an eternity without God based on the fact that you just are having trouble believing? Take that one step and choose to believe. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I pray for those who are in this room, who are within the sound of my voice, who might be here today. And they would have to say, you know, I, Todd, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't believe that he is who he said he was. I, I, I wonder if the resurrection was really true. 
Father, I pray for those who are here today and, and within the sound of my voice. God, I pray that you would give them the ability to make the greatest decision that's based on the greatest event that has ever taken place in history. Father, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would help those who walked in here today and their life has been a little bit hopeless and helpless and they've been wandering. They have felt purposeless. They have felt a little bit without a mission and a cause and their life seems to be turned upside down all the time. And God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would reveal yourself to those who have not yet chosen to believe. And in this moment, Father, I pray that you would help them to make that jump from believing that Jesus existed to believing that he is the resurrected son of you. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you've never made that choice to believe, I wanna to appeal to you to, to make that decision right now on Easter 2019. There's no better time. There's no better time. And maybe you've got something in your life of a net that you're holding on to. Maybe it's some kind of other belief. Maybe it's a trust in something or someone else, or maybe it's you know a financial goal or a vocational goal or some kind of academic pursuit that you have that is your net. It is your hope and your future. My challenge is that you would hear the words of Jesus saying, follow me. And my challenge is that you would drop that net and that you would receive the gift of eternal life. The Bible says that all you have to do is believe in your heart that Jesus rose again from the dead and confess of your sins and confess him as Lord and you will be saved. And so here in this moment on Easter 2019, I wanna pray a prayer out loud just in the quietness of this room with every head bowed and every eye closed. And those of you who are in here and over the course of the last 45 minutes or so, something has happened. And you're like, yeah, I want to believe. I, I want to make that step. I want to make the leap. It's time. It's time. If you are there today, I want to invite you to pray this prayer. You can pray it silently to God. I'll pray it out loud. It's a prayer of salvation. There's nothing magical in the words. It really is in the intent of your heart. It's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for loving me enough to die on the cross for my sins. Today, I choose to believe in you, Jesus, to be my savior. And today I accept you as my savior. Thank you for the gift that you've given me of eternal life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you just prayed that prayer or something like it, would you just do me a favor so I can pray for you? I won't call you up here or anything. I promise I won't embarrass you. If you'll just look at me and raise your hand if you prayed that prayer along with me today. Would you just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer? Awesome, awesome. Anyone else here? Pray, pray that prayer. Just put your hand up for a moment so I can see it. God, I pray for these who had their hands up. God, I pray for those within the sound of my voice who made a decision today to accept you as their savior. God, that is the greatest decision that they could ever make. And God, I pray that you would take these seeds of, 
of this great message of, of death, burial, and resurrection that leads to eternal life, God. And I pray that you would use it to bring others to you. Father, I pray for all of us who are in here who are Christ followers. We're people who already believe. Father, I pray that you would help us to have the courage and the commitment and character to have a life that is marked by serving the world around us. Help us, God, to find ways to do that, small ways with those we live with and near, and, and ways that we want to take your message to our community and to the rest of the world. Be with us now. We thank you for your resurrection that we celebrate today. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen.